0: Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age, it's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to
1: support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's Lindsay and Krista. We're glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. What's happening? Holiday season is among us. We just passed Thanksgiving. We're
0: rolling into the holidays of 2023, which feels wild.
1: I say it every year where I'm like, oh, I'm sad the holidays are over. Like, it's so long until the next holiday season. Like, how will I ever get through? And then it's like, hello, it's here. It feels like the blink of an eye last year this time we were working on our book
0: proposal Which and we is so weird I know isn't that bizarre over Christmas, I remember even on Christmas and I think the day after and the entire week between Christmas and New Year's when usually usually we have time off and we were like full working on the book proposal. I was in Ohio, and there was no better place to write than in Ohio at my mom's house during the holidays because it's like What else is there to do? There's nothing to do. There, At least for my family, like we don't have like a bunch of places that we go. We're kind of just pretty insular. So it was actually the perfect little writing portal. Mm -hmm. And it was so helpful. But yeah, that was a year ago, which is crazy because we just turned
1: our book manuscript in. Literally. I got pregnant mid-December. So around this time a year ago. Didn't know it until after we were finished the book proposal. But it was like a very interesting wow little kind of synchronicity and then writing well
0: the entire time Mm -hmm. Nikki who's our book coach who I was thinking today I'd love to have her on the podcast actually we can just talk about the whole process Mm, love that for people but yeah she was saying she's like all the time when I work with people on books they usually have a death or a birth or like there's some huge life events that tend to come up when you're when you're working on on your book, which is crazy because Mm -hmm. yeah, it's for sure. It's for sure been that process. I ended my relationship. You got pregnant. Other things have gone down that have been
1: really powerful for both of us, but it's crazy. Yeah. It's funny to think about, I guess, the why and the purpose of that, you know, like why those things happen at the same time. And I guess it's usually in retrospect that you kind of, yeah, that becomes super clear, but It's almost cool to be in anticipation of that in a way and be able to work with it in the moment, which I think we've kind of been able to do because I think having Nikki, you know, set that groundwork where she's like, this is normal. And also this is very useful and purposeful has been really, yeah, it was really, really nice. But I think for anyone that's like a forewarning too. if you want to write a book, there's probably going to be some shit. Mm -hmm. That comes up and.
0: Like when I was writing the mother wound chapter or just the mother, we have our own word for it, not mother wound. But when I was writing that chapter, so many of my friends were talking about stuff. I was going through some stuff like it's I'm in the writing the career chapter talking about purpose and, you know, just in the different phases of my expressed purpose, like what we go through. So, yeah, it is so powerful. I always wonder, too, I'm like, okay, but if you hire someone to write your book, do you still go through (laughs) Do you still go through those things or like? Mm. Do they go through the things that, like, they're ghostwriting about? Like, what is that process? But it's made me so proud to write a full book ourselves, like, Mm -hmm. fully to be us, our writing, our voice. I have no shame for people that get someone to write their book, but I do feel like you really miss out on, like, a really beautiful process when you actually do things that take a long time, that take your concerted attention, that push you, that call you forward, that... Or is something going to stand like be bigger than just you and like have a bigger life Mm -hmm. outside of its own? You know, it's just like, yeah, when we shortchange stuff, you just really miss out on an opportunity to make yourself proud.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been like waiting. I didn't know I was waiting for something like this to like dig into, but like it's exactly what I was needing, wanting just kind of to activate that part of me. I think it's been such a lesson, too, In you can't really rush the process of anything that is going to have a really big impact I have really felt that you know we've created things quickly in the past not a book but like we've created other things quickly in the past and you know they've been fun and fulfilling but there's something to taking the time and just really allowing for what's coming through to like affect you and then also translate it into in this case a book that I think adds to the frequency like I, I'm sure it will be felt that I just I don't think I'll ever forget you know about the creative process.
0: Same now I want to write so many more books mm-hmm. like I want to do this not forever but I, I just when we're writing too I'm like oh I want to write a book on this I want to write a book on this like I want to talk about this you know it's just It like gets your wheel spinning of now I get where authors do have tons of books, you know, where they don't just have one because it can be so fun and enjoyable and collaborative. But yeah, it's been a beautiful process. What a freaking year that it's been. I feel like for so many people, it's been so intense. It's been so transformational. It's been so powerful where I think twenty twenty. In 2021 and 2022, we're more like externally things were going on. There was so much shifting as far as like the world. I feel like in the past year, it's been such an internal year for people of real deep inner transformational work and all the things that they've done. So I'm hopeful that you guys are taking time to just kind of let yourself sit in that and be with all the changes and transformations that you've really gone through by choice consciously this year.
1: Yeah, because I think this time of year is sometimes traditionally that feeling of like both total burnout and like also approaching the new year being like, oh, God, how am I going to start the new year so that I set the tone and that I set myself up for success or whatever it is? And I think you're right. It's so much about will you actually take time to rest and be in kind of what you've turned over this year and also allow for plans that you couldn't even think of yourself to kind of, yeah, percolate and just kind of present themselves without just like manhandling them and trying to make them happen yourself. Mm A hundred percent making room for miracles,
0: baby. Mm -hmm. It's time for miracles. And it's time in this episode to talk and revisit some of our favorite nuggets from health conversations that we've had over the past two to three years. So on the show, we talk about spirituality, we talk about entrepreneurship every once in a while, and we've talked about health over the years quite a bit. And we've had some of the biggest and best names in the game talk about really powerful, transformational, and sometimes controversial topics related to health. So what we're doing recently in Almost 30 is we are kind of bringing back some of those nuggets, some of the highlights, some of like the ones that popped off on TikTok, like the really big moments for Almost 30 within the health and wellness space in particular on this episode and just revisiting those really powerful moments and conversations. Because if you haven't listened to the episode, it's going to be completely new for you and you're going to be mind blown. And if you have, it's always good to have a refresher. We have so much information that we share that it sometimes can be hard to remember those really important instrumental pieces. So this one's a good one. I'm excited because it's like,
1: yeah, I love a little like TikTok playlist of our favorite Mm -hmm. things. Totally. And it was hard to choose, have to say. We have some pretty baller health episodes. But first up, we have the glucose goddess. So this went totally viral on both TikTok and Instagram. And her method to help people regulate their glucose levels has changed so many lives, and it is insanely simple. So in this clip, she is sharing her method and she's actually sharing weeks one and two of her approach. And it's honestly changed the game for me. It changed the way I feel, my energy levels, my digestion, my cognitive function. I didn't realize until this conversation and then the practices that I've done since then how much my glucose levels were really affecting me I was just kind of like trying different health hacks blindly but this has given me so much pointed direction as to what I can do to improve that
0: yep Jessie's the homie we've had her on twice you can check out glucose goddess almost 30 for more on our girl and the second one is with Cherveen of Symbiotica. It's on parasites. And this one went absolutely nutty on viral and Instagram. Millions and millions of views and millions of comments. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty out there. We talk about parasites, we talk about cats, we talk about the origins of parasites. And it's just really something to think about. It's always fascinating to talk with Cherveen because he has such a wealth of knowledge and information. And I love that he pushes the boundaries of what we're thinking as it relates to health. So I think you guys will really enjoy this one with Shravine from
1: Symbiotica on Parasites. Mm-hmm. And then we have our friend, Saadi Simone. So we wanted to bring in this element of health, which is sober curiosity. So many of you out there have reached out to us and DM'd us and emailed us just about your journey with alcohol. We've been pretty transparent about ours and just the life that we live in the wake of lessening or completely eliminating our alcohol intake and how that's affected not only our health, but our spiritual health as well. And then last, we have Dr. Cabral.
0: Lindsay and I sat down with Dr. Stephen Cabral of the Cabral Concept Podcast. He has an amazing... Rand, he's a doctor of naturopathy, to talk about walking and weight loss. And we were talking a lot about how we used to be a hit workout obsessed. And so we were really eye-opened at the incredible new research around weight loss and walking. And I know so many of you are hot girl walkers. I walk almost every single day by myself or with friends. And to find information that confirms that I can take it easy that i can just go for a nice walk in nature and i'm still going to reach all my goals was incredibly fascinating. So, this is an amazing incredible roundup of some great great guests we have for you in the health space. If you enjoyed this, if you want to talk about this with friends, if you feel like this is something you've already been exploring with people that you know, highly suggest you send this episode to someone you know and love. This is how we've grown, and it always feels good for someone to send you a podcast episode and tell you that they're thinking of you. You could also find These episodes linked in our show notes specifically, or you can just search Health Almost 30 on our blog or website, or you can search these people's names, Almost 30, on Spotify
1: or Apple Podcasts to find the full episode. Thanks, y'all, for listening, and we'll see you on the other side. 30 pod a30 pod for 10% off. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these Superhuman activations every single morning for the last 3 weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him.
0: I'm so grateful to have you and you know the book you have coming out this week is a book that we've been talking about behind the scenes and even in our last conversation we sort of prefaced what it was going to be about and why and you wrote a book really recently like you've been kind of working hard so I'd love to know why
2: another book this fast yeah so the first one came out just a year ago and it was you know all the science about blood sugar why you should care the hacks what to do about it stories and it had my story in it it was like Almost like the Bible of glucose, right? And after that first book, I started getting these weird DMs. People were DMing me and being like, hey, Jesse, could you like move in with me and help me actually do the hacks? <laughs> and I didn't get that just once. Like, I got that like dozens of times. I was like, oh, okay. So people understood the science. They were like, fuck, I'm having glucose spikes. I need to fix it. But they wanted a bit more of a step by step guide to. Know how to start, when to start, you know? And so, this second book, The Glucose Goddess Method, is the answer to that question. And so, it's basically me moving in with you for four weeks and telling you to just like, okay, lean back, relax, follow my need. I'm going to guide you through this process Mm -hmm. of changing your life and applying the hacks and incorporating them into your life one week at a time. Because really, the hardest thing about all this is just actually doing it. And so, I want to make sure that. I'm serving every single type of need so that people actually get it done. So I'm so excited. And it's so gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. I I love the cover. The cover cover is
1: amazing. It's so you. It just feels so good. It it feels really good. Why four weeks? Is it like a particular weaning on or weaning off? Or how do you set it It up? It felt right. So the four weeks felt right. So essentially
2: the way it works is that week one, we look at breakfast. So week one, we change our breakfast from whatever you're having before to a savory breakfast, which keeps your glucose level steady all day. And I have a bunch of recipes in the book to actually help you do it. And so then for the whole four weeks, you continue with the savory breakfast. So it's building. It's building. Yep. Week two, vinegar. And again, people are like, okay, vinegar is good for my glucose. But like, I don't really want to just drink some vinegar and water. That's so boring. So I have like a million ways of doing it that can turn into your own little ritual, like you get to test things and just have a little moment for yourself. Week three, veggie starters, which you have once a day before lunch and before dinner. And week four, movement. And so by the end of those four weeks, it's as if you took the on-ramp, you know, on the freeway to like the rest of your life. Now you're set. Now you have these habits in place that you're never gonna really get rid of because you feel so much better so quickly. You're like, okay, this is my life. 100%. Now. So I just wanted to help people get from like that zero to that, one state that's really important to me actually helping people do it because we've all heard like ah, eat better exercise more that's so vague and unhelpful like I'm here to solve the motivation issue I'm here to actually help people do it
1: because that's the hardest part and to actually feel yes what it feels like to begin that change because I think that's what people miss because they don't commit long enough to feel the change so once you feel the change it's kind of like they perk up Absolutely. And (laughs) I I can tell you, after those four weeks, so because I'm a scientist, I I wanted to get
2: more data on all this. All the hacks in the glucose guidance method are all backed by amazing scientific studies, but I wanted to get my own data. So I recruited in October 2,700 people that went through the method when it was just still a PDF, you know, and the photos were like really like gross photos. It was not even the final photos. It was really like super raw. But I had all these people go through and I was following them day by day and they were experiencing this whole thing together. And by the end of the four weeks, 99% of people told me they were going to continue the hacks in their lives, which for me, that meant so much. It's so cool because that's just so many lives actually changed. Mm. And it feels good. That's amazing. What I love about it, and
0: I already do a lot of the hacks yes, because I'm a good student, is that it's not really changing my diet. It's like adding adding, or moving things around or like adding vinegar to my diet has been so simple. Mm -hmm. Having veggies first is so simple. And I think that's the most important piece of it. It's like, these are actually very simple things that feel very natural. Walking after you eat is very natural. Like it's really been intuitive for me. So I'd like to start with week one of breakfast. What are some of the things that people can look for or how they can support a breakfast? That feels really good for them. And why is breakfast so important, especially from a glucose level
2: perspective? So your breakfast kind of dictates the rest of your day. So if at breakfast you have a big glucose spike because you're eating basically just sugars and starches, maybe like cereal, maybe oats with honey, maybe bread and jam, maybe orange juice, muesli, granola, that's a big glucose spike. And your body, when you've just woken up and it's the morning, your body's very empty and very sensitive. And the information comes through really quickly glucose comes through really quickly. So a lot of glucose at breakfast leads to the biggest spike of the day usually. And then once you started the spike, you're on the goddamn roller coaster and you can't really get off until the next morning. It's hard. And so with the week one of savory breakfast, you just step off that roller coaster forever. And we have amazing ideas of just protein-rich breakfasts that are tasty, easy to make, easy to Eat, take five minutes. I wanted the, um, all the recipes in the book to also be very, very, very simple. So they're all six ingredients or less, which is amazing. Five minutes to make. And there's also the little images of the ingredients as cutouts. So you can just open a page and you're like, oh, I have all those things. Uh-huh. I just wanted to make everything as simple as possible. Yeah. So anyway, so with this new breakfast, what happens is your body actually can make energy much more efficiently. Because I remember in last time we talked about this, like sugar at breakfast gives us pleasure makes us feel like but that's not energy that's just dopamine in the brain on the inside when you have a big spike at breakfast it actually hurts your mitochondria's ability to make energy mm. so it's really important to get that right it's kind of like a cornerstone of your life and after just two or three days you feel so much better that it just becomes your new life and you don't really want to go back to the other yeah. stuff
1: mm-hmm. what would an, an example of like a savory Breakfast be like Mm, my
2: favorite ones two egg omelets with feta and tomatoes, a little chickpea stew, halloumi with spinach. I have this one recipe that I love, which is called ice cream for breakfast. And so it's Greek yogurt, some berries, some nut butter, all whipped together. You can make it the night before. It's like this nice little cold thing in the morning. Another one I love, I call it the avocado accident. It was one day I had all this stuff in my fridge and I just wanted to make a breakfast. I think I had like Hummus, tuna, avocado, some seeds, and some salt. I was like, okay, I'm just going to make a thing. And it became this accident on my plate <laughs> of the hummus, the avocado, and the tuna, and the seeds, olive oil, and salt. And it was so Oh, good. it sounds so good. So it was an accident. So lots of things like that, that you can just whip up. Not much cooking required. And that will all make you feel really nice and happy. And those have a good balance of the protein,
0: fat, and fiber. Mm-hmm. Is it more important that we're getting those three things? Or that we're reducing the sugar? Like, what's the relationship between those when you're thinking about breakfast?
2: That is such a good question. So it's more important to have protein than to reduce sugar. So for example, if in the past you used to have, like, oats and honey, it would be more important to, like, add two eggs to that up front rather than just, like, reducing the amount of honey in your oats. Smart. The protein is really key. That's going to keep you, like, steady eagle energy all day. That's really important. And even within the method, like even if people are having a hard time getting rid of their sweet breakfast foods, you can still have those, but during the day, like after lunch or after dinner as dessert, right? So it's super permissive. Nothing is off limit. It's more like just readjusting things slightly, adding stuff. And a lot of people end up eating more than usual uh, and feeling so much better. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people actually even lose fat, even if they don't. Even intend to right. It's not a diet. It's really about your health, but that's a common consequence.
1: So then, week two, yes, we keep the savory breakfast. Yes, then we move on to adding vinegar. Yes, and I know some people are like, "Ew, yeah, vinegar." Ew. So how and are we going to incorporate it? But also, why is it so important. important for your glucose?
2: So the science shows us that vinegar contains this wonderful molecule called acetic acid, and acetic acid. It's pretty dope and does two things in our body. One, when we have a tablespoon of vinegar before a meal, the acetic acid in the vinegar slows down how quickly starches turn to glucose in our stomach. And second, acetic acid goes to your muscles and goes like, hey, muscles, please soak up more glucose as it arrives into your bloodstream. So those two things are very powerful in reducing the spike of a meal. So the hack that was in the first book is one tablespoon of vinegar before a meal. You can just dilute it in some water, for example. Mm -hmm. During the method, there's like 30 different ways of having this, right? From like these beautiful mocktails, like the mojito slushy, the cinnamon tea, a lot of dressings that you can actually use on your food instead of drinking the vinegar. And it's really, really fun and beautiful. And of course, there's the Glucose Goddess Classic, which is just a tablespoon of vinegar in water.
0: For the apple cider vinegar, just quickly on that. Is it true that if you have it after your meal, it will actually hinder things because it will slow your digestion? I've heard that.
2: No, no, no. It's fine. Even if you have it afterwards, it's also okay. It's just more effective upfront. You can also have it during or after a meal. And on week two, the idea is to have this vinegar drink before the meal of your day. That's the highest in glucose. To like use the power of the vinegar as effectively as possible. So for example, you know, if you want to have a cake in the afternoon, have the vinegar before or if you're having like a pasta dinner have the vinegar before that
1: i am juggling quite a bit lately (laughs) i have a new baby um six months in and uh we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house and um it's just a lot but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health Ah, they just make a big difference. And I just cannot emphasize this enough. It creates this cascade effect and honestly a snowball effect. (laughs) So (laughs) one begets the next really great positive small action, but it almost has like a bigger impact as the day, as the week goes on. Um, And I'm just someone who very much believes in this, whether you're like smiling at a stranger, or maybe you wake up a little bit earlier to practice your meditation, or maybe read part of the book that you're loving, uh, or maybe you integrate a healthy habit, like taking a probiotic, which is something that I've been doing for a few years now. I've been taking seeds DSO one daily symbiotic and I love it. And I've just noticed that this is the catalyst at the beginning of the day for a ton of healthy choices that I make. Um, and I've noticed a difference when I don't take it, shipping to your door to when you put it in your body all the way through your GI tract, um, all without synthetic or chemical coatings. Um, and this was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics in the microbiome. They are the best in the space. And um, So I just, I trust them and I've experienced incredible results. So trust your gut with Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash almost and use the code 25almost to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash almost. The code is 25almost.
0: Let's start from the health perspective. When we think about parasites, what are parasites doing to the body? What are parasites in the body?
3: Some parasites are communal, which would mean that they're they're there for a reason and they're creating balance in the body. They're doing things that help the body achieve homeostasis and they're regulatory per our digestive tract and, and how our body functions in absorption and elimination of and other things. A lot of parasites are not communal and they are parasitic And they rob us of things that keep us in homeostasis. And they wipe out certain compounds in the body, which ultimately leads towards devastation. And they eat up parts of the body that cause ultimate devastation. And they control parts of our conscious, which cause devastation. So... My whole thing with parasites is I always knew about parasites. I learned about parasites when I was probably about 12, 13. It first started with roundworms and then tapeworms and then liver flukes, and then gerardia. What's gerardia? Gerardia is, is a bacteria parasitic infection. My
0: eye's twitching, which means I think I have parasites and they're pissed we're talking about.
3: <laughs> well, everybody has parasites. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The difference is some are completely... Taken over by parasites. Yeah. The load factor. So we got to look at parasites as a load. It's just too much of a load for the body. And when that happens, all of a sudden, it doesn't start with all the parasite symptoms. It starts with you have a runny nose, you have itchy skin, you have a cough that doesn't go away, you're constantly getting sore throats. That could be parasitic infections. Parasites are lowering our immune response because they dysregulate it. That's what co-infections are. That's what Lyme and then you have Epstein-Barr and then you have all these different things. It's basically towing the line so thin that you have so many open fronts and now you're at war. Not with So if you want to win a war, the best way to win a war is to draw a line and know exactly where your target is and not allowing it to penetrate and knowing where to drop your bombs and to ar- armor up. If there's two fronts, now you're at 50 50. If there's three, do you get, what I'm, you get where I'm going with this? So, co infections and having all these different layers opens up all these different fronts. Yeah. They attack mm-hmm. differently, they cause dysregulation of the immune system, basically, an unharmonic frequency in the body where electrical. And that's why when people have these devastating outbreaks, it's because their central nervous system has just hit maximum stress load. The cortisol spiked, adrenaline spiked. They're constantly unsympathetic, which is fight, flight, freeze, fight, fly to hide. And the body's immune system starts to cave in. And then that's when they start get, picking up all these autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune eventually leads to heart disease, cancer, Metabolic diseases, things of that nature, they don't just randomly appear. And so, parasitic infections, if left untouched and unaware, will devastate you and cause a, a laundry list of problems that are so gnarly and so depressing to think about what people go through. Yeah. And I've studied these infections and I've looked at them very heavily. Like one of them in particular is called Toxoplasma gondii. Have you heard of that? No. So they say about 60% of the country has it. It's the cat parasite you get from cats. It's a parasite that makes its way into the body and then eventually makes its way into your brain. Once it's in the body, it's called toxoplasmosis. And this parasite is so intelligent. Keep in mind, parasites have been evolving for as yeah. long as this world has been here. Yeah. They're intelligent. Yeah. They know how to survive. They know how to build and burrow into the body, into the parts of the body that get no white blood cells. They know how to create biofilms and go under the biofilm so they can just feed and wreak havoc on the body. Super intelligent. They send signals to the nervous system, to different parts of the impulse control, to release ghrelin hormone or hunger hormone that starve you of glucose, so you're just craving sugar and craving sweets and all kinds of stuff. This then leads to depression, highs and lows, irregular heartbeat, muscle twitching, brittle hair, dry skin, psoriasis, unregulated sleep cycles. It's like all of these happen are happening all at once. This is how these devastation things happen. So the cat parasite, it's so crazy. So the rat gets it. Mm. It programs the rat to chase the cat. Wow. So the cat eats the rat and goes back into the host. just, yeah. a, just think about that oh, for yeah. a second? Mm-hmm. That's making people promiscuous, yeah. doing risky behavior. That's a fact. This is some sci-fi movie. Yeah. This is a real deal.
0: Yep. That's what I think about sometimes with parasites, like to go, it's like with someone, when you see them kind of being, out to lunch or like a little off you're like is it an entity is it a parasite like they kind of are both but sometimes you can see someone and you're like oh something is in them and that is not a human yep that is operating that ship totally and whether it's a parasite or not but there i guess i wanted to talk about that there's a lot of research around and in the amazon too there's also research around like parasites in the amazon that can basically take over complete animals and then run the animal's brains and minds. Do you know
2: about those?
3: No, absolutely. Toxoplasmosis is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, it it governs your CPU and your control center and your desires, your survival needs, your energy towards others. You actually start becoming a parasite. Just think about that. Like you're embodying what you are within, right? And parasitic by nature has to feed off a host, right? How many people are out there unbeknownst to them it's in their subconscious that they're operating as a vampire
0: yeah that's like energy vampires and people that are
3: they, they don't even know it though right yeah. they're like they're that's their operating system
0: yeah When we think about a parasite, I guess, just for the visual, I always think about like a tick inside of our body, but like on a very small level. Is there something that they look like or do they all look different? What is the visual that people should be having?
3: They all look different. I mean, hookworms, tapeworms, ringworms. Some of these things could be four feet long. I've seen it. I've seen it come out of people's butts. My dad
0: got one in Russia when he was young. Wow. I know. He lost like 30 pounds in a month.
3: Yeah, because it's eating his nutrient supply and, and eating up everything. If someone can't gain weight, very likely they have a parasite, no matter what kind of food they put in their body. If their eyes are yellow and all of these things, those are signs that the liver is under stress because of a parasite and gallbladder is under stress, recirculating the feces from the parasites. That's another thing. Parasites are pooping in your body, which is, I mean. It's in where? Like your. In your bloodstream, in your tissues. Yeah, Yeah. And it's ammonia. Right, Parasites are nitrogen-breathing. They need nitrogen. Where mammalian cells are oxygen-breathing we're oxygen-breathing. So they're nitrogen-breathing. They're also feeding off glucose, and they're feeding off protein. So they're actually like protein sinks in the body. They just eat up protein in your body. That's why a lot of information out there is coming out on a couple of things, like multiple sclerosis, right? right? There is some information that MS is parasitic, It's eating up the myelin sheath. The myelin sheath is the jelly around the nerves. And that's what's happening. That's what's pushing people towards MS possibly. That along with probably artificial sweeteners and heavy metals, all these things, they're all part of the same toxic soup. They're... A parasite and these infections, they love to live in toxic bodies. Yeah, Toxic bodies is heaven for them. They're thriving on them. They eat up all the cadmium and lead and all that kind of stuff in the body, the mercury. They love this poison in the body. It just goes hand in hand. And so for me, it's not about eradication. We cannot remove everything, but we can take the load off. And that's what we want to do. And we want to understand how this works. We also understand, like, how could we be contracting parasites? Like, where do they show up in our world? Yeah. They show up, number one, from an immune system that's already down. So if your immune system's down, for example, your gut microbiome is not working properly, you're not producing the right enough hydrochloric acid, then your first line of defense, which is your mouth and your gut, is already been broken away. So that's a dangerous game right there. That's why it's really important that our the acids in our stomach are strong, right? We can't be drinking electrolyzed alkaline water all day long. That's nuking the balance, the pH of our gut.
0: That's Essentia water.
3: Is that a bottled water?
0: That's a bottled water that's like reverse osmosis, pH 9.
3: Yeah, I'm not a fan. I love the idea of alkalinity, but that's should be through our foods, our greens, mineralization, And perhaps spring water, but electrolyzed dead water and constantly drinking it, you could be causing dysbiosis in your gut. Right. We don't want that. Your oral health, your oral health is the gateway. So if you're got, if your mouth is filled with infections and cavitations, dude, check this out. They've done cavitation surgeries. This is common now, and in the infection is Lyme disease. Oh yeah, spirochetes, in the infection staff in the infection huh. h pylori helicobacter gram negative bacteria that is in is in the cavitation under the wisdom tooth or wherever in the mouth the oral health this is the root cause this is it is really important to to grab hold of and make sure that area is thriving these bacteria infections they get into the gut and they cause alkalosis in the tight junctions you're familiar with our tight junctions. No. This is how our gut gut works. It's the micronized cellular structures that the that food eventually passes through. It's the how permeable certain things are. These infections get in there and they expand those tight junctions, and then all of a sudden you're getting undigested food hitting your bloodstream. Then your body has an like autoimmune leaky reaction. Leaky gut. Okay. And the leaky gut turns into. Just about every autoimmune you can imagine. Yeah. And what the hell is autoimmune? Autoimmune. What a stupid name. It's
0: almost like I was thinking about the pharmaceuticals where it's called like antidepressant.
3: Yeah. It's so... they're called like
0: anties. And it's like to make sure to add in the yeah.
3: It's terrible. It doesn't give you any insight. Yeah. It's worse than allopathic. Yeah. It's like we're gonna hide ninety nine percent of the root and just heal that tip briefly. Yeah. And ten million other things might happen with it. That's the that's the problem with modern healthcare today is that we're really not addressing the root cause and getting into that. I've talked about this at nauseum swords everybody else out there so this isn't anything new. It just we got to get awareness of how this body works yeah. and the functions of that body. And so oral health, hydration, and just not putting things in our body that could cause infections like maybe we shouldn't be eating sushi 3 times a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: As our listener, you are going to get a discount plus a free thermometer, baby. Use code ALMOST30 at naturalcycles.com to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer. That's naturalcycles.com. You're going to use the code ALMOST30 to get 15% off an annual membership and a free thermometer.
0: Do you find that people are scared to be in their bodies or what do you think the resistance is? Oh
4: my God, a hundred percent. People are scared of being in their bodies. Yes, they're terrified of being in their bodies because if you are in your body, what's going to happen? You're going to have to feel. Yeah. And people don't want to feel. Yeah. People are afraid of feeling. And we also need to think about all the things that we're under the influence of Mm -hmm. that have created a life of splitting. Yeah. A life of running away from the body, a life of multitasking, a life of overdoing, a life of running late, you know, yes. like <laughs> all the things that I still do some of them as a ways to keep myself addicted to suffering. Yes. The
0: adrenaline. That's right. Dude, I have a friend. She's like that. And I'm like, I swear to you're not even you were early. I think she is late because she's addicted to that adrenaline in that story where it keeps her in that, like, heightened mode. And we're all addicted to these chemicals. Mm -hmm. Something that you've done, too, is that I also do is I'm sober. And I'm not sober. I didn't have a problem. I don't know what qualifies a problem. But being sober has been really powerful because it has helped me be more in the body. Really, when I was drinking, it was like... I'm hanging yeah. out here.
4: It's a hovering life. It's I mean. hovering.
0: You don't even, <laughs> no one is home. You yeah. see me and no one is home. That's right. It was like, and oh I would my see my friends so yeah. too. And you're like, yeah. ah, Are we're all out there? to lunch. Yeah. And it would almost be time travel because mm-hmm. you drink, you don't know what happened. The night's over in the morning, you're talking about it. Yeah. How has sobriety helped your healing process?
4: Oh my God, massively. Are you an AA? No, I didn't. I didn't do any program. I was invited into that by one of my teachers. It was one week in May in 2017. And I had to like speak at this huge conference at this big corporate place at this thing at that thing. It was just like all these massive Mm -hmm. things in all in one week. And at that point, I was like drinking a glass of wine every few days. I was smoking a joint every night. I was maybe doing a little MDMA on the mm-hmm. weekend, maybe a little, my you know, like a little mushrooms here yes. and there. I was like conscious about it. <laughs> I had already been to very early, yeah, yeah. but I was in New York. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I had already been to India like six times. So I was like very conscious in that approach. And then I was talking to one of my mentors and she said, look, if you teach any of these people, From a place of even if it's a slight just a little bit of a fog in your words and they take your advice and they practice what you told them to do and because you're fogged their approach to their practice is fogged and they're creating more fog in the world you don't want that karma girl wow oh shit okay and it was just like i heard those words and i never went back yeah i never went back yeah but look i have had a problem i smoked Mm -hmm. crack when i was 14. Wow. I have done pretty much everything under the sun. But in 2012, when I left the fashion industry and I had my first big level awakening through a massive rock bottom, and I started to cut back, cut back, cut back, cut back. But the thing that was always a culprit for me that was always like sneak up, it was like, have a beer, smoke a joy. It's fine.
0: I find here is way easier. Being in New York, not being on substances was... How? 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 Exactly. I remember being there, being like, I love it. And I'm like, I yeah. love this place. It cracked like, out. Yeah,
4: exactly. Yeah. When uh, was the rock bottom? It was on November 22nd, 2012.
0: How do you remember the day?
4: I was bought out of the company that I had started with two friends. Wow. So it was a massive. Behind heartbreak. your back? Mm-hmm. Wow. It was a massive heartbreak. It was something that I overheard through the fucking window. Like, it doesn't make sense how I heard the thing. So it was like, oh, shit. And the heartbreak of that was so massive. And it just kept compounding because I really wanted to stay in fashion. I really wanted to keep working in fashion. I thought I had it all figured out. I was 24. I was on Forbes. I was was like young creative director. I was like doing this, all these celebrities, all this. I I was like doing all kinds of crazy epic shit. So I thought I had it sorted. And then when that happened, I still was like, okay, cool. I can leave this magazine. I can find another job in the fashion industry. And I kept reaching out, reaching out, reaching out to people. And no, 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 no. The only interview that I got was to become the creative director of Nasty Gal. Mm -hmm. And full circle, I have come to meet Sophia and have come to, like, guide her in meditation, which has been, like, an amazing thing that we've, that I was like, and I told her that. And it was like so crazy, like full circle coming together. But I ended up not being qualified for the job yeah. or whatever. Anyways, didn't happen. But that propelled me to start seeking. And the first mm-hmm. question I remember putting on Google was like, what does it mean to be happy? What is happiness? Wow. How do I heal depression? How do I heal addiction? You know, I just started like looking at the things and being mm-hmm. like, why do I, why can I not sleep at night? Like, why? Is my mind always active with really negative things? I start to question things. And that's what kind of like opened me up mm-hmm. to, to then go to India and start the process of really getting to know myself.
0: I watched this YouTube, which is like every doctor's nightmare. And in the YouTube, this guy was talking about fat burning and walking. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about or the results he had from walking versus when he used to do HIT and he lifts as well. So he was doing lifting and then he was doing HIT for a while and then he was only walking and lifting at the same time. So he was saying that because you stay in the fat burning zone with walking longer rather than going to the point where you're burning sugar and carbs, he actually noticed a better difference in his body composition than when he was doing HIT all the time. Have you heard that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And what I always look at is who's the best in the field at what they do, right? So bodybuilders, you may not want to look like a bodybuilder or a fitness competitor, but they've dialed in their nutrition and their exercise. And traditionally for the last hundred years, they would do low steady state cardio or walking for 30 to 60 minutes every single day, especially as they were cutting down. And then their training would be very intense, not necessarily high intensity interval training, but certainly very intense sets that lasted for anywhere from 30 to 90 seconds that got their heart rate up and then it would come back down. So since we know the predicator for fat loss is nutrition, so we have to have our nutrition on point. And then what we wanna do is at a low steady state, we can absolutely do walking. So for people that just don't enjoy doing long cardio or doing sprint interval training, which by the way is still great, so I'm not saying that it's not, they can do three days a week of weight training and two, three days a week of some lower intensity cardio or walking every day for 30 to 60 minutes. That, that's the minimum though threshold I would look at. If you're really doing it for fat burning, you want to be walking for a good solid hour at a time in order to be able to get that. Now there's one other part to this and I didn't really realize this until let's say about like nine, 10 years ago. I was working with a couple of diabetics and we found and we tracked, they were very just about how they tracked all of their data. And so this was, I would say, at the advent maybe of continuous glucose monitors. And so we looked at what happened when they did a boot camp at night? What happened when they did weight training at night? What happened when they did cardio at night? What did it look like the next morning? Because we're always interested in that fasting glucose level the next morning after eight, 10, 12 hours of sleep. And the only thing that lowered glucose levels was low level cardio, not sprint yeah. interval training, not boot camps, nothing. And part of it is that the, closer you move away from aerobic-based metabolism, which is kind of what we're talking about right now, staying in that fat-burning zone. Now, again, I know all the exercise people, and again, my background is in strength conditioning and personal training, all that way back in the day. And so, yes, you never have to do cardio in order to get in great shape. However, it is very helpful. And the more you get away from cardio, meaning like the much more anaerobic it becomes, the more intense it becomes, the less fat you are burning, but it actually means that the more sympathetic nervous system dominant you become. So it means that you're actually pushing your cortisol levels. And if your cortisol levels increase, by proxy, your body will produce more glucose. So we'll break down liver glycogen automatically. I mean, because your body is looking for a fuel source. And in order to fuel itself, it has to get it somewhere and it will do it from glucose at a high intensity level.
0: And that's why in those instances, you can crave sugar more. So your cravings would probably increase because your body's looking for glucose to
5: refuel the stores. People have two different reactions. So one... They do a really hard workout, and it eliminates their appetite. Mm. And the reason is they're in fight or flight. So when you're in fight or flight, very high level stress. Now it's not a good sign that this happened. <laughs> I know. I was yeah. like, What are we doing?
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're in that
5: state, your body knows. Well, we can't digest any food right now. We're not. not uh. We're not going to make enough stomach acid. The blood's not near the stomach, so it's not a good idea to eat right now. But then the other people. Well, they know. Okay, cortisol levels increased. There was some liver glycogen breakdown. Maybe even some muscle glycogen if you've been depleting carbs. So. If you're low carbs and you're doing high-intensity interval training, you're going to start to lose muscle, like without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And that's because your muscle stores are going to have what's left of glycogen. So you store between 90 to 120 grams of, let's just call it sugar, in your liver, but hundreds of grams in your muscle stores. So when the liver is done, it's going to get it from somewhere because, again, cortisol is a glucocorticoid, and it has to break down glucose in order to be able to fuel the fight or flight.
0: Wow. So I guess what are the benefits of high-intensity besides... For heart rate, is that the only benefit? Because I'm confused of why we've all been doing it for so long. If the benefits from what you say and from what I'm understanding seem to really be in the low impact steady state or the walking.
5: Well, I would say that there's multiple ways to achieve the same goal. And I think a lot of people like high intensity optimal training simply because they feel like they're working out.
4: They feel like they're pushing themselves hard.
5: (laughs) But you could do a true weight training routine (laughs) plus low steady state cardio. And there's a lot of negativity around that. And I was there myself. So when I was 21, 22 years old, to maybe like 30 years old, sprint interval training and metabolic conditioning workouts, kind of like HIIT workouts, that's all you need. And that is true. That's all you need to be able to transform your body. But for longevity-based benefits and overall health benefits, not always in an anaerobic zone, but actually an aerobic-based zone is healthy for the body. So you get anaerobic and you get aerobic, which extends these things called telomeres as well on your cells or your DNA, which is one of the eight things that have been shown to contribute to overall aging. Mm-hmm. And it's all a greater oxidative stress as well. So again, I just am more preaching a balance with most things in general between some high intensity of training or weight based training and some lower level, whether it's walking or cardio could be biking, it could be some rowing, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think you can do both.
1: What do you recommend as far as nutrition around a healthy amount of fitness during the week? So especially related to carbs. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is it best to have your carbs in the morning, midday, evening? Because I feel like. I've heard it all and I'm kind of confused at times. I go mostly intuitively how I eat during the day, but I haven't been able to like really nail down what works specifically for me. But what would you recommend if someone's
5: active? So for me, you can say high carb, moderate carb, low carb, and you could be right. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And you could say high intensity interval training or what I call as GEP. Since my background's in functional medicine and natural integrative health, we can't prescribe the same thing for each individual. If someone is completely burnt out, like hypothyroidism, low adrenal output from HPA axis dysfunction, we can't recommend high-intensity interval training. We're starting with walking, and then we're moving up to graduating to some low-level cardio. Why? It's the least amount of stress in the nervous system. Yeah. And then after that, okay, we can do some bodyweight weight training. And then after that, sure, we'll do some weight training and then some sprint interval training, metabolic conditioning, high-intensity interval training. So what I recommend is, okay, what do you need for your body type? If you're already a thin body type, that means you're probably more nervous system dominant, more fight or flight, higher metabolic rate. Do you really need to do the high intensity interval training? Most likely not. You're going to do some weight training to keep bone density there, Mm -hmm. some lower level cardio, some walking, and that's what balances your body. And then someone that they look at carbs and they start to gain weight. Okay, well, we're going to do lower carbs, not completely low, not gone, right? Not below 25, 50 grams of carbs per day. That's just going to be too much stress. We can get into that if you want. But then their exercise is going to be more intense. They have a more robust body naturally. And that's why we have to respect our body types. And their body can handle more. So unless their labs tell us differently, that's how we look at our different programs.
0: Okay. I was just going to ask the question on, a thinner body type and the nervous system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very interesting concept to think about someone's natural body type and how would their nervous system naturally genetically be different than someone that doesn't have a thin body type?
5: Yeah, it's where we start to get in the weeds a bit, but some Let's of my in internships <laughs> were in Ayurvedic medicine.
0: Yes, I was thinking about And
5: my background was sick between the ages of 17 and 27. So it was a long time of also soul searching and study and nothing really worked. And I I mean, I did all of conventional medicine, best doctors in Boston. I did a lot of natural health-based practitioners. This was like the late 90s, early 2000s, and still didn't get the results I was looking for. So I'm like, I don't know. Does anything work? Maybe it doesn't work for me. You know, maybe I'm that person. It works for everybody else, but not for me. There's a lot of people who believe that. Well, finally, I did get something to work for me, and it's because I started to understand all of these things are true. And so when people are preaching online, this one specific way of doing things There is a reason why. They're getting results, but it's only going to work for maybe a third of the population. Two-thirds at best, a third never. And so when I started looking into Ayurvedic medicine, which is what my mentor asked me to look into, was the Vata body type. It's the thinner body type. We've got the Pitta. That's more in between. It's moderate build. And then we've got the Kapha body type, which is a propensity to weight gain. But again, they all have positives then, right? So then... 50 years ago, the somatotypes came along. And the somatotypes is a conventional medicine, psychological-based profile, where the kapha body type, more robust body type, and again, that's no disrespect at all. We just know some people are larger than others, and some people are thinner than others, and Mm -hmm. some people are more muscular and athletic than others. That's just how their body is naturally built. Now, we can all change our body structures, but only to a degree. So it's variances based on a bioindividuality. And so that kapha body type is typically in what they found, more of the parasympathetic nervous system, more of the rest, relax, digest. In the US, it's hard to to pin down that specific mindset, but overall, you'd be more of a chill, calm individual. peta mindset's more of the leader, more inflammatory-based, good and bad, fiery, Mm -hmm. exactly. And then the vata is more towards the anxiety side, more towards the fight or flight-based side more difficulty sleeping, or the kapha, they can sometimes fall asleep right away. But again, this is just a psychological profile. Ayurveda goes very, very in-depth, but it's one way of looking at it. And again, at the end of the day, we're running labs to back these things up too. So we're kind of looking at the individual, which in Ayurveda or the genotype is called the Prakriti. The Vakriti is actually where they're at right now in their life, understanding that how you were born and your genetics, they don't change, but the presentation does today. That's called the phenotype. So, you can take two identical twins, and they can live two totally different lifestyles. One is dialed in nutrition, dialed in exercise, they're in great shape for their body. And the other one, maybe they're 100, 150 pounds overweight and they have some type of diagnosed disease. Okay, well, they're identical twins. They're literally identical DNA. Why, why the change and the changes in the lifestyle? That's mm-hmm. the Vakriti, that's the phenotype. So, everyone, you have your genotype, it's not going to change. Those SNPs that you hear about sometimes, the single nucleotide polymorphisms, that's what allows for the expression of disease, weight gain, weight loss, because you can be underweight as well. We work with a lot of people underweight. And so these are all things that I think need to be explored more in our industry. And that's so that people are a little bit gentler on themselves, not comparing themselves to like, oh, I should be like that person. Well, probably not, unless you have the same genetics and the same predispositions, you live the same lifestyle.
0: Yes. So the expression of the nervous system could be a genotype, part of their build. That's right. And then it also could be the xeno, is it xenotype or is it? Because I'm just trying to think what comes first, the yeah. nervous system being that way when they're born or their life kind of creating that nervous system experience.
5: Yeah, I, I think it's all, it's both. So there's the nature and the nurture, yeah. right? I think that's part of it. What if you had a deep level of trauma when you were younger? What if you have a high stress job? You're working... 14 hours a day. Okay, well, that means that your expression is going to be more towards that vata. So you might be someone that is naturally a kapha body type, but you're underweight for your body type, or you have anxiety, difficulty sleeping, and that wouldn't be normal for who you are. And so we always want to bring our body back to balance. Nobody else's balance except our own. Now, the nice thing is, typically, we're not just one thing. So we are a blend. So we might be have a vata, predominantly dominant type, let's say 65%. Then we might be, you know, 30% one thing and 5% the other. So there's like the subtypes of that. And there's only 10 maximum. So we're not looking at a wild variety in general. And a lot of people, they say, well, this is a little bit too out there. But the truth is all of these things have actually been studied. There's actually scientific research on every single one of these things that we know that high sympathetic nervous system is one of the biggest predicators to disease, especially Alzheimer's. Mm.
0: Wow. Thank you to the guests of our show. These very special episodes we curate specifically here at Almost 30. We have more coming, so we're excited to share some of our greatest hits with you later this year. Thank you so much to Sa De Simone. Thank you to Dr. Stephen Cabral to Chervine of Symbiotica and to Jesse, the glucose goddess.
1: Happy holiday season, everyone. We would love for you to visit almost30.com. We have so many resources for you, so many ways to just feel more connected on your path. We have our membership, which so many of you have joined lately and we're having a great time just learning so much about ourselves and one another through workshops and live hangs and just some really deep self-work. So I'm excited to welcome you almost 30.com slash membership to learn more there. You can follow us on Instagram at almost 30 podcast, as well as on TikTok. Be sure to check out YouTube. We have all of our episodes on there as well. And finally, thank you to our sponsors. We have some incredible brands who support the show. These are brands that Krista and I have vetted and have incorporated into our lives. So we're just so stoked to share with you. You can find all discount information in our show notes as well as on almost. 30.com we love you guys so much thank you for being in our lives we
0: will see you on the next one later later.